What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three cyanide drinkers with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and my 007 codename would be Archibald. I'm Matt Johnson, and my 007 codename would be Larry Bond, James's second cousin. And I'm Keith Baker, and my 007 codename would be Chuckles. On today's show, we'll be continuing our series on Daniel Craig's James Bond with 2012's Skyfall. But first, Matt, how was WandaVision this week? WandaVision was pretty awesome this week. This was a good episode to review. Things kind of, uh, I guess you could say the curtain was pulled back a little bit. We got to see what was really going on. So if you're someone that watched the new episode, have been loving the series so far, definitely check out our episode and our reviews because, you know, we, we broke it down pretty well. We're excited about the future of this series, so check it out. Yeah, man, WandaVision's getting good. This mystery's heating up. And of course, be sure to check out our recaps every Sunday. Okay, let's get things moving here. Last time we were talking James Bond, we of course covered the divisive Quantum of Solace. And now it's time for something with a bit more universal appeal. Today, we will be discussing the critically acclaimed third outing for Daniel Craig as James Bond, Skyfall. We all loved Casino. I think we appreciated Quantum a bit more on a rewatch. And it's been almost a decade since Skyfall released to theaters. It was loved and universally praised at the time. So guys, what do we think? Does this movie still hold up since we saw it in theaters all those years ago? I do think it still holds up. Like I said, this is my favorite out of the four that are out so far. You get a lot of classic Bondisms in this one that we'll get into later. The story's great. The pacing's great. The different locations I go to are great. Uh, I Yeah, I enjoyed it all around. I really like this movie. I think it is very solid and it moves. And even though it's really long, it doesn't feel so long. It's paced really well, like Keith said. I guess with this one, it's an issue that Casino and Quantum don't really have because those movies are flawed to different levels, of course. But with this one, I guess it feels like there aren't going to be flaws. So whenever they do happen, it's just weird choices that stick out more than in the previous ones, if that makes sense. So there, there's just some weirdness to this movie, and there definitely are flaws for me, which I didn't, I guess, remember as much from previous viewings. And... I guess my biggest complaint is a similar one that I had to Casino, which is the character of Lashif, the villain in Casino Royale. Great performance, no doubt, by Mads Mikkelsen, but whenever you kind of look at that character, kind of try and track not only their motivation, but actually what they're doing throughout the movie, it is a bit weird, and it kind of, in my estimation, drags down the villain a little bit. It's kind of the same thing here. I think Raul Silva is a better villain and Javier Bardem gives just an amazing performance, no doubt. We're going to be talking about that a lot, I'm sure. But again, kind of like it's the motivation that's confusing. Whatever What the villain's actually doing is confusing. And the whole plan is just to kill M because she betrayed him. But whenever you kind of look at it, 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 the villain doesn't seem as cool besides the performance, I guess is what I'm saying. So I really like this movie. I want to make that clear. It's just on this viewing, for some reason, there are some... Weird things that stuck out to me. So we'll have to talk about that. What about you, Austin? What do you think? I had a great time on a rewatch with this movie. I think it's really fun. I think this is like for sure the throwback bond of Daniel Craig. I think they carry forward a lot of the um, a lot of the series traditions in this ones and bring back a lot of cool mechanics. My biggest issue with this movie, I think, is the pacing. It does feel a little overbloated, which is also something we talked about with Casino. All that being said, though, it's such a fun movie. Daniel Craig is just incredible in this one as James Bond. Judy Dench as M is also a standout, so I am excited to get into this one. Well, let's go ahead and get into our cast and crew now. Keith, take it away. Please tell me who stars in this movie. Yeah, so this one is directed by Sam Mendes. You probably know it from American Beauty, Road to Perdition, and et cetera, et cetera. Screenplay by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and John Logan. Composed by Thomas Newman, along with the James Bond theme by Monty Norman. Featuring Skyfall, written by Adele and Paul Epworth, and performed by Adele, obviously. Cast, we got Daniel Craig back as James Bond, of course, Judy Dench as M, Javier Bardem as Raul Silva, Ralph Fiennes as <laughs> What? 
I was so excited for Keith to uh try and pronounce that. It seemed right to me. Keith is not in the wrong. Everybody gets it wrong. It's Rafe Fines. It's it's spelled Ralph, but his name is Rafe Fines. But I wanna I wanted to see oh. what he would do. I was so excited. Ralphianes. <laughs> Voldemort himself. He has a nose this time though. To be fair to Keith, it is spelled R-A-L-P-H. So Ralph, Ralph is a fair guess there. Keith is absolutely in the right. I was just so excited knowing he would do this. I was so curious what he would say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ray Fines as Gareth Mallory, who becomes a new M at the end. Naomi Harris as Penny, Ben Wishaw as Q. Bernice Marlowe as Severine. Rory Kinnear as Bill Tanner and Albert Finney as Kincaid. Guys, any of your highlights in the cast and crew here? I mean, I feel like I say it every every movie, but guys, it's got to be Judy Dench. Judy Dench is the best part of this franchise, I think. I love her as M. She's so good in this one. She's almost the co-star in this one. Like that's how much of a role she has, and she really makes this movie, especially in the third act. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, we talked about it last week. I know we, the three of us, each had kind of varying um, levels of I don't know what you'd say positivity when it came to Quantum of Solace. But I do think the best thing they did there was put M in more of the forefront. And so this one, basically Quantum kind of walked so Skyfall could run, if you will. I don't, I think without, I think without the the M role in that one, even though it was confusing at times with her level of trust towards Bond, that, that aside, I don't think this movie works without what they did there. And Austin's right. I think M is certainly a standout because of the role she has in this one. I also think, I already mentioned it, I mean... Javier Bardem is just one of the best actors, I feel like. He's so good, and if he's, he's played some legendary villains already. Go check out No Country for Old Men if you haven't. But, I mean, this one, another good performance. Daniel Craig, back as James Bond, and a little bit different performance. You know, a bit more damage, a, a bit different, so we actually kind of got to play around with it a bit. And as you guys know from our, I believe, I don't know what we ended up calling it, like most underrated movies or overlooked movies – I talked about one of my all-time favorites, Cloud Atlas, which Ben Wishaw is in. So him, here's Q. I got to throw him some love. Definitely the standout for me on this one, though, is Javier Bardem, for sure. And he is so creepy in this one. Um, like you said, Matthew, no country for old men. Anton Shiger. I don't know which one's creepier, Anton or Silva. I, I think Anton might be slightly creepier, mm-hmm. just in the, the setting of no country for old men. God, he plays both those roles you forget that he's he's an actor. Yeah. Like you actually are creeped out by this dude. Totally. Alrighty, guys. Let's get into now our production nightmares segment. I think we've got some production talk and we've got some trivia put together. Take it away. So the big one with this movie, there's kind of conflicting reports with this. People kind of talking about how close did this actually get to happening? And some people say not at all, but we got to talk about it. So to play the part of Kincaid... Mendez cast Albert Finney, as we saw in the movie. The producers did consider approaching Sean Connery to play the role in a nod to the 50th anniversary of the series, but declined as they felt his presence would have been seen as stunt casting and it would have distracted the audience. Some people also theorize that if they had cast him as uh, Kincaid, this would have kind of brought about a popular theory in the James Bond community. I don't know if you guys know that. So Daniel Craig's James Bond is a code name essentially and all the previous bonds we've seen Pierce Brosden etc etc going back those were all different people and it's like this is all one world that's a theory people have so people are like oh they're going to cast Sean Connery he's going to be coming back as his bond that's out of the game now and they didn't cast him so it's just just kind of a weird story so it never ended up happening but it kind of got people talking that's so crazy because when uh, Kincaid is introduced in the movie I was literally thinking this is a perfect spot for they for them to have an older bond like yeah. to have Sean Connery in that type of role that was my first thought when because I had forgotten about that character being in this movie on a rewatch I get what they say about maybe distracting the audience though yeah I'm kind of glad they didn't do it but it would have been cool and there was there was one moment where Kincaid has aligned that says, welcome to Scotland, after he blows two guys away with a shotgun. Like, I was thinking, man, that would have been perfect line for Sean Connery. Welcome to Scotland. But, uh, no, I think in the end, I am glad they had uh, Albert Finney in as Kincaid. Yeah, I agree. But it would have been cool. It would have been cool. I do get that. So, here's one we got here. Daniel Craig, I don't know why I, requ- I even wrote this one. I just thought it was so cool. Daniel Craig performed most of the stunts in this movie, all the ones he could, 
And he did actually do the one where he jumps and slides down the escalator rail. I was like, Jesus. I was like, because that's something looked really cool. So I was like, good for you, Daniel Craig. What do you guys think of like the stunts in general in this one? Right from the get-go, just the action and, and stunts in this movie are top-notch. I feel like they were almost trying to like outdo the past two movies, but they also still made everything feel grounded. So the stunts are just incredible. But back to that sliding down the escalator thing. Every time I see that stunt in a movie, because it is kind of a common stunt, I'm always wondering, like, is that actually possible? Like, would you really slide like that down that thing? It kind of makes me want to try it. I've seen the uh, escalators, and they usually have those uh, those bumps now. So you can't like do every that, two feet. That way you don't do that anymore. <laughs> Maybe yeah. too many yeah. people saw Skyfall, and they were trying to do it afterwards. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, this movie made like over a billion dollars, so maybe- Oh, we're going to talk about that. And just to add to that point, Matthew, uh, I also read that Daniel Craig also performed some of the uh, rooftop fight on top of the moving train that was going around like 35 miles per hour. Golly, this guy's a, like a secret Tom Cruise, I guess. We didn't realize it. He also doesn't have a, as weird of a regular life persona as Tom Cruise. So maybe we maybe we should put Daniel Craig into the Tom Cruise limelight. I think it would be better for everybody in general. We'll get him. We'll, we'll talk to some people. We'll make that happen. All right. Here's some quick hits for you guys. In 50 years of James Bond movies up until this point, of course, in 2012, this is actually the only the second time in which Bond suffers a gunshot wound. He was shot in Thunderball in 1965. This is the only other time he's ever actually been hit by a bullet. I was like, how's that possible? <laughs> so that was interesting. I love that scene, too, when he drops down and then just fixes his suit casually, even though he's bleeding out of his chest. So good. So good. Kind of a, another weird thing along the same lines. This is the first time a character is audibly heard saying the F word in a James Bond movie. M says it during the third act. It does happen in The Living Daylights from 1987. That time Bond was played by Timothy Dalton and he clearly says for fuck's sake, but it couldn't be heard due to a plane engine noise. It kind of goes back to what we talked about with Casino where this is weirdly still viewed as a family friendly uh, IP. So, like, they still don't include any F-bombs, and it never really gets too violent either, even though he's murdering people like crazy, and there's crazy amounts of sex in these films. Everyone still thinks of this as family-friendly. I don't even want to talk about it, but we are going to have to talk about... We have to have, like, a new segment called, like, Creepy Peepee or something for James. <laughs> it's like, in Casino Royale, he's... It's a sweet scene where he's comforting Vesper, but then he starts sucking on our fingers. In Quantum, he was relatively uncreepy, in my opinion, except for when he just randomly makes out with Olga Kurlyenko at the end, and she looks surprised. Ugh. And this one, <laughs> this one's not a good <laughs> look, my friend. This one's the most egregious. I don't know what it is with Daniel Craig's Bond, but why can't they get any shower scenes right? Why do we not have two <laughs> creepy shower scenes in this franchise? He just like walks into a shower naked, fully erect, basically, and just starts <laughs> making out with this woman from behind. It's like, oh, no. A woman who they've also established as a victim of sex trade. Dude. So that makes it even worse. It's like... In all seriousness, I'm not even making a joke. They introduce that character. She like he like does the whole like Sherlock Holmes thing, basically, where like he, like he like notices something about them and then like basically correctly deduces their past and like yeah, Austin's right. Sees a tattoo and is like, oh, she was part of this. Uh, she was like a sex slave. And then the next scene, he's like walking into a shower with her naked and he's naked. <laughs> it's like, dude, it's gross and so cringy. Yeah. It's just a yeah, bad choice. She has enough trauma yeah. from her childhood. And like, dude, you just you're not helping anything with that. Come yeah. On and she even... also doesn't know he's there. So he just <laughs> breaks. In, he break. He breaks into her shower, too. Like, uh, uh, it's bad. It's a bad scene. Like, no knock on the door or anything. Just walks in. Just She's walks like, oh, hey. In. How many people did that scene pass in the editing? That's the and big not question. One person was like, hey, this may not be a good thing to leave in here. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Well, Austin says it's the most egregious. I say. It's the most egregious so far. I think Keith might be with me, though. There's a scene in Spectre, which is borderline... It's like borderline... Whoa. Like, this is bad. <laughs> this is not a good thing to do. <laughs> so we're going to have another creepy pee-pee segment with uh, Spectre. So look forward to that, people. All right. So Daniel Craig said that he was worried about delays in the production and was eager to get back into the role because he was 43 at the time and he felt he was getting too old to cope with the extreme physical demands of playing James Bond, which made me laugh because like, what, No Time to Die is coming out 10 years later. So he's like 53 and he's still doing yeah. it. So good for him. Just two quick ones. Daniel Craig had told a big name magazine that he wanted this one to be his third and final Bond movie saying, I've been trying to get out of this 
from the very moment I got into it, but they won't let me go, kind of half joking. And then, but they ended up signing on for Spectre and No Time to Die, which kind of goes back to your thing, what you said earlier, that he was kind of already feeling weathered from doing the Bond movies and he was kind of old. I mean, he's talked about in Casino that he felt like he was in a constant state of pain. So then imagine imagine duplicating that feeling for four more movies. My last one here, just a quick, I th- which I thought was kind of cool. Adele was pregnant when she recorded the theme song. And in an interview, she said that her pregnancy hormones caused her voice to go deeper. Hence why her singing tone in the song is so low. She also said that this, she's not able to recreate that low tone. So Skyfall is kind of an original mm. song for her in a way. Uh, with that tone of voice, which I thought was kind of cool. It's so damn good, too. It's kind of like what you want from a Bond theme, like we've talked about before. Like, it feels half of, like, a song that Adele would sing, just, like, on, a, like, a normal album. And then half, it just feels, there's just a Bondness to it, if you will. It just feels like it has to be a Bond song. So, they nailed the balance. And, and just the intro itself this time around, it just looks great. I just love the visuals they picked. They nailed it. This was the first one to win the Oscar, obviously, and deservedly so. I love how the visuals in the opening theme tie into kind of an ending scene in the movie, too, with him underwater. I thought that was really cool. Oh, yeah. It does. I didn't even think about that. I also, um, they've been doing this in the past two movies, but this is also my favorite example of how they not only use, because they use the bomb theme in the movie more this time, which I really like, but they also use Skyfall orchestrally throughout the movie, and do that scene when he's going to that casino on the boat and it literally somehow seamlessly transitions from bum ba dum bum 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 like the bomb theme into Skyfall orchestral. I was like, oh, so good, dude. Just the music in this movie is top notch. This is the best soundtrack for sure. They did change composers this time, which I noticed. They uh, It was David Arnold the last two times and this time uh, Sam Mendes brought in Thomas Newman, who he works with a lot. So might have been a good change. I think David Arnold did great, but this was... I think it did feel noticeably better for me, at least. Well, guys, thanks for sharing your trivia with me. Let's break down the critical reception now. So Skyfall released November 9th, 2012. It made $1.1 billion against a $200 million budget and was the second highest grossing film of 2012 behind The Avengers. Can you guys guess what the movie in a close third place is from 2012? Dark Knight Rises. That is correct. Dark Knight Rises made $1 billion worldwide, whereas Skyfall made $1.1, so just barely passed it for that year's totals. Austin, before you continue, this actually might be a perfect transition. I, I can't believe we didn't talk about this. It's not a long story, but should we inform the audience of our journey, you might say, of us trying to see this movie back in 2012? <laughs> I think the thing that may have spurred your memory there is because we also uh, waited 12 hours in line to see The Dark Knight Rises. But yes, Matt, please break down our adventure trying to see this as as some young Arnie's. All right. So it's a pretty quick story, but I want to just lay it out. and You guys tell me what you remember. So we went to our there was two theaters, right? There was two theaters in our town where we grew up and we went to the first we went to the big one. Uh, like the main Cinemark or whatever. The one that has like the super IMAX theater within right, it and, right. and seats like a bajillion people. Important to note because Skyfall would have been in that theater. So we got, we were always pretty good. I feel like about um, kind of getting early, getting there early and kind of gauging if we needed to be at a theater extra early. And we of course had our meet at the top of the parking garage spot, Hell which yeah. I would always get to way too early, be the only car there. And then a police <laughs> officer would pull up and ask me what I was doing there. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Which let's, let's, let's address that real quick. Why did we meet at the top when there was always plenty of spaces? I don't know. In the because rest of the we garage. Were guaranteed. We were guaranteed to get parking at the top, Keith. <laughs> why did we why did we want it? There'd be nobody else parked up there. We'd look, look like drug dealers up there. Oh, no wonder that cop would come up and talk to you. Yeah. So we went there and I guess Skyfall made so much more money than Quantum. I think we were like It'll be busy, but, you know, it'll be fine. Long story short, we get we basically we get right up. We're the next people in line and then it sells out. It's like, oh, shit. That's OK, though, because the small theater close by is also showing Skyfall. Ran over there. Get in line. It's looking good. It's definitely packed, but it's OK. And then we run into my family friends, right? We bump into them in line. Right. They're right in front of us. They're a family of five. We're all like chatting. We're happy. We're excited about Skyfall. They get their tickets. Boom. It sells out. Your family friends, they buy their tickets and they're like, 
We'll see you in there, guys. <laughs> That's for the funny part. They were the last ones to we're get like, seats. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. All right. We're going to drive 45 minutes up the highway, miss the opening of the movie, and try to get in that way. We made it. We missed the first few minutes. We basically t- uh, we basically come in like right as the turkey chase starts. We missed the little intro, which in hindsight, we didn't really miss much. But um, yeah, it was just funny because we also couldn't find the theater like... I don't know if it's like the theater's fault based on their address, but like we went to that address and it wasn't there. And then we were like, where's this theater? I called my friend from college who lived in the area. I was like, hey, do you know where this theater is? They're like, no, never heard of it. And we just kept driving around, ended up finding it, missed the first few minutes, but we made Skyfall. And what a memory it was. Austin, continue with your reception. All right. So this movie comes out and it releases to a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes and is pretty universally loved by critics. Reviewers at The Times, The Observer, Daily Record, and IGN all pondered if this was the best Bond ever made. Critics felt that this version of Bond really was a spectacle to see on screen, with the action, humor, and character development all finding a way to coexist and fit nicely together. Critics also commented that director Sam Mendes was able to make a Bond movie for both new and old fans alike. So Daniel Craig especially received high praise for this one, with critics saying he finally stepped out of the shadow from Sean Connery and has really made the role his own. They felt this version of Bond was a worthy successor to Casino Royale, as opposed to what we got in Quantum. Judi Dench was also highly praised, with Roger Ebert saying Skyfall was finally a role worthy of her talents. And then for criticism, it really seemed to amount to nitpicking, but the most recurring ones include the film's two-and-a-half-hour runtime, a third act that feels like a separate movie, and the lack of chemistry between Naomi Harris and Daniel Craig. Yeah, I agree with those things. I think most of my issues I'm going to bring up are definitely nitpicks, but um, I, I think that's one of them. I think the character of Moneypenny is obviously important and in a lot of the older Bond movies. So this was like their, oh, reveal. This is Money Penny. It's like, whoa, cool. It's actually a field agent. It's just so weird how she keeps popping up out of nowhere. It's like, we didn't want to send you a message, so we sent Money Penny. Yeah, I don't know. I just, the intro is kind of weird because it's like, you, you. it's curious like what her experience level is. And then, I don't know. It's also, it kind of makes me wonder on this rewatch, do they have, they have earpieces. They're communicating. Why can't Money Penny or M say, Bond, stop fighting him for a second. Just like lay down and I'm going to shoot the guy. Well, he hears it. He hears it, too. They cut to her and she's like, take the bloody shot. And he recites that later. It it works for what they're doing in the movie, but it is one of those nitpicks. It's like someone just say, Bond, stop (laughs) like wrestling this guy for two seconds. I'm going to shoot him or something or push him. I don't know. It was it just made me laugh this time around. I actually really like Naomi Harris in the role. And I like Daniel Craig. Like, I like the way they interact. It just feels like they had to come up with specifically fourth scenes to get these two in a, in a screenshot together. That's true. Yeah, I agree. There were the parts in the middle of the movie where she comes in are kind of weird, but her at the beginning and her at the end, I think, are awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe their flirting scenes are a little weird, but I think I, I kind of have to disagree a little bit that they ha- didn't have any chemistry at all, really. I thought, they, I thought they did. I agree. I mean, if she was in a shower, though. I mean, maybe he just goes for it. That's kind of his MO these days. So I guess we'll see. It's just weird that they're like, hey, what could, what could we do together in this town? Like, it seems like there's a lot of fun things. Ugh. How about we shave each other? I don't like, get that. Why is that, the, <laughs> why is that the activity they chose to do together? So dumb. It's another one of those things where like Bond has to be just irresistible, you know, apparently like in order for him to work as a character, I guess the producers feel like he just has to be like. No one can say no to him. And even though she doesn't have sex with him, apparently, I guess, uh, whenever he does mention shaving, she's just like, and I have to do it. Like, it's just weird. Or even if he offers her to do it, she has to say yes. It's just one of those like, yeah, to your point, weird scene. Whenever it cuts to her, like, literally shaving him, it makes you go, would anyone do that? I I don't know. I guess. I don't know. He's a hottie. I don't know. about to jump in here to the discussion but before we do remind everybody what happened in this movie so james bond's island getaway is cut short by a trip home for the holidays realizing his family has left him home alone he is forced to defend his estate from would-be bandit silva (laughs) hilarity ensues as bond rigs the house with traps and plays a game of cat and mouse with silva nice this movie really is home alone it's the home alone sequel we always wanted it's my house and i have to protect it (laughs) (laughs) oh jeez. God, they should have gotten Daniel Stern or Joe Pesci to play the villain in this one, I feel like. It would have been nice to see them back together again. Or maybe uh, Macaulay Culkin could be the one waiting for him at the <laughs> estate. 
That's what I was going to say. I was going to say Macaulay Culkin could be Kincaid. He <laughs> just walks up this just skinny, like, weird-looking guy because he's clearly – he's not that – <laughs> he's not that old. <laughs> so, he's so got, off he's got his long, his long fucking blonde hair. Looks yeah. like a homeless man. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin looks like he did as a kid, just taller. <laughs> he looks the exact same. He looks like a game. He looks like a groundskeeper. Honestly, if I picture the groundskeeper, it would be Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> they should have cast him in the role. <laughs> yeah, instead of like, what does Kincaid say when he walks out? Like, it's been a long time, boy, or something like that. Instead, it's just Macaulay Culkin, like. Hey, James. <laughs> <laughs> but all the lines from Daniel Craig are the same. He, like, sees him and he's like, you're still kicking, old man. <laughs> it's just they use the exact same lines. <laughs> oh, man. That would have been good. I don't know why they didn't think of that. It's always great when we can get into some Macaulay Culkin talk on this show. But, of course, it's now time to get into our roundtable discussion. Who wants to kick us off today? Let's talk about the opening sequence in Turkey leading to Bond's death and resurrection. I thought the action in this scene was awesome. Uh, the car chase scene, the motorcycle chase, and especially the fight in the train. Also, it's a great intro into Money Penny, and she ends up becoming one of my favorite characters, which we've already kind of touched on. Yeah, right off the bat, I mean, I, I know I was kind of the most down on the opening of Quantum, but this chase is incredible. It's the way that it just spans so many different planes of actions. We go from the rooftop to a fruit market to a uh, to a train sequence. It's It's so much fun, and it really just hooks you right from the beginning. This movie just looks so different than the others in such a great way. I think in large part probably due to uh, Roger Deakin's cinematography. Just the way the movie's shot the whole time. It's just such unique lighting and then the way they structure these action sequences. You guys are right. I mean, it's just the perfect way to get into it. And it's like we have a car chase in there, a classic hand-to-hand fight, a crazy, a crazy like big like um, Bond moment with like, okay, we're going to take all that and now put it on top of a moving train. Like, I don't know. It's just so cool. I love the part. It's just a little thing. But whenever uh, they both are fighting and realize they're about to go in a tunnel and they both just fall flat. I was like, oh, that's so cool looking. Dude, that made me jump. Whenever yeah. just the way it's shot, it, it comes at you out of nowhere. It I feels know. like you're on the train. Yeah, you're right. It's like the camera's right there on top too. Yeah. Really good stuff. Um, Just the perfect opening. I will say though, and there might be a few moments of this. Again, like I said at the beginning, I think this is a great movie. There's no doubt. One of my favorite Bond movies, definitely. But whatever weird stuff does happen just sticks out more because the movie's so good. And I do like the growth we see from Bond in the, in the very opening scene, whenever he finds this character, Ronson. And because uh, in the past, I mean, literally in Quantum, he killed a guy that worked for MI6. <laughs> they, he threw him off a roof and M's like, he worked for us. And he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and this time, he genu- he clearly genuinely cares about other people, which is nice to see. He tries to save him. He's prioritizing saving this guy's life instead of get- uh, continuing the mission. I love that. M, of course, you know, as the boss is like, keep going. And then we find out Ronson dies, right? And then later in the movie, there's a part where uh, M reassigns Bond and she's like, track down Patrice, get the hard drive and terminate him for Ronson. And it's supposed to be like this big moment. It's like, why do you care? It was your fault. I don't know. It's just the weird things stick out more. You know what I mean? It's like, she shouldn't be saying that. She killed him, basically. Yeah, it's kind of weird that they like reverse the roles too, like you said, Matt, because Mm -hmm. in Quantum, Bond doesn't give a fuck about anybody that's in his way. Then M is the one that's chastising him. But then in this movie, they flip that role. So now M is supposed to be the cold, hard boss and Bond is supposed to be the caring field agent. And it is it is a very quick reversal. I think in large part, they do that because, of course, they reveal that the villain was someone that was like a, a, a James Bond level agent earlier. And he was, I guess, doing his own thing and he got in trouble and she traded him to China uh, in order to get back some other agents. So it's like, I think they introduced some of these elements so it was more believable when you find out that M had betrayed this guy in the past and she was cold. So I guess that's why they did it. It doesn't always work. And in some ways, I think it kind of, it cheapens the ending a little bit on a rewatch because it's like she is so cold in this movie, like more so than the past two. So whenever she does die and there's these sweet moments between her and James Bond, it's kind of like, Ah, but she, I don't know. They, just, they went a little bit too hard with how, like, um, 
just how cold-hearted she can be at times. So yeah, I agree. I think it's a very fast change. It works for the most part, but that, that's a that's a, that's a weird one. The Ronson thing, just like let's get back at Ronson. It's like what? I do think they do a good job of making the events of the film play into why M is being colder, though. Because mm-hmm. not only has she just lost one of her favorite agents, but then she's also coming under fire from Parliament and being told that that there's no longer a need for her. So she kind of does have to distance herself and really kind of like square her shoulders to get ready to fight back. Well said. That's a good point. I also really enjoyed the his like resurrection. Like you know, he's living in Turkey. I'm guessing for maybe a few months. I think three. They said. I think maybe three. Three months. Maybe. But yeah, then he comes back and he breaks into M's apartment again for a second time, and <laughs> yeah. he looks like shit yeah. too. And it's like that's realistic because <laughs> he looked like he was 80 years old. Golly, <laughs> like he actually looks like he got shot in the chest and like has been on sabbatical for a while. In addition to you saying he looks like he's 80 years old, I then also love when he has to take the fitness test, and it's so clear he's failing every yeah. single metric, <laughs> and he just looks like an old man. Like they might as well give him a cane <laughs> when he's walking around here. Someone just walks up and hands him a cane. <laughs> On top of that, though, I also do love then how he goes into the bathroom and just pulls out the bullet. And he's like, just get this analyzed. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's so badass. like, why'd you leave that in? That's what I was wondering. Why is the bullet still in there? Probably so it could be analyzed. He probably left it in there knowing he'd have to take it out. He wanted to feel it. He wanted to feel the pain of his betrayal. It's like, why don't you just take it out, put it in a bag, and then get it analyzed later? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he was worried he was going to lose it in his drunken stupor, Keith. He always plans ahead. I mean, what if that scorpion had taken him out? I mean, this guy, he's not prioritizing his life right now. Um, I also love the scene where he does the actual... um, I don't even know what you would call it, really. I guess like the psyche evaluation and the guys like doing word association. And uh, it's just very simple. He's giving answers that like are just he doesn't care. He's just saying things. Then he gets to M and he's like, bitch, (laughs) (laughs) Skyfall. And you guys remember the first time we saw this? Because, I mean, obviously on rewatches, it's kind of hard to evaluate that. But whenever he says Skyfall, you just see a different look than we've ever seen on James Bond before. And whenever they reveal later, oh, Skyfall, because Bond titles are usually something really stupid, like the world is not enough, like, oh, great. Octopussy. Yeah, <laughs> good example. Uh, whenever they revealed the title was Skyfall, it's like, oh, it's going to be like Bond's world is crashing down or something like that. But then it's an actual place. And it, it, it was cool. I liked whenever they said the word Skyfall. I was like, oh, what does this mean? And on the first time you see it, like that reveal of the house was like, oh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like how it's a subtle reveal, too. Like, they just pan over the name, and then they don't really reference it again. I, th- I think that was awesome. I know. There was a line cut from the film, uh, from the what we probably should be calling the Culkin cut, um, whenever he gets there and he sees James and... Uh, He's like, oh, you're still kicking, old man. And he's like, it's just been so long since you've been to Skyfall, James. And then, <laughs> then like, he pauses and goes, you know, Skyfall, your childhood home, where we are right now. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of, we just talked about that whole psych evaluation scene. We really do see a more damaged bond in this one. And that's something they've kind of been toying with a little bit. It can see Royale and particularly Quantum of Solace. And... um I guess the whole trauma of him almost dying and feeling like M kind of betrayed him a little bit. And then the whole like how it actually does form into childhood trauma as well and how this all connects and lumps into one character, of course, being James Bond. How would you guys feel about that? Like seeing this kind of new take or different version of this character? It's weird because he is he is still damaged in this one, but I don't think he's any more damaged than he is in the first two either. I think they found a way to still make him be damaged and interesting, but then also... He's still like the fun, smooth-talking James Bond, and I think more so in this one than he is in the other two. Like He is that that typical Bond that we're used to as well. I think they do a really good job of, of nailing the dynamic between being having a damaged Bond and then also being the suave, really smooth Bond as well. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Yeah, I like that he has to go through some trials and, and traumas and all that kind of stuff, but then, you know, the, the scenes with Silva... It, Silva's like kind of challenging him, saying, "Hey, is it still is the old 007 still in there?" Because he wouldn't make the shot uh, of the uh, the shot glass on her head, but then he just takes down like four guys right after that. So you know he's still he's still got his old tricks. You know he's like like Money Penny says, "Old dog, new tricks." And then there was like that part where she's like, "Really old dog, but thank God I <laughs> shaved you. You looked 80. <laughs> and then she takes the cane, she takes the cane away. Uh, I do again. It's going to be Matt's nitpick corner, I guess. It's going to be a lot of this review. 
Keith mentioned it, dude. Can we talk about this, like the whole Severin death scene? I feel like she didn't need to die. I feel like Bond, if he was going to act that quickly and kill people that quick, I don't know. I feel like maybe do it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess though it is like even if he had shot the glass off of her head the first time, uh, Silva still would have shot her. And if yeah. he had just immediately taken down the guards, he could have just shot her while he's fighting all the guards. So I, True. I, I think it's kind of hard for her to get out of this situation. Yeah, I did feel bad though. This movie does feel a lot different from Casino and Quantum. It kind of feels like a different chapter in a way. Like it's, Casino yeah. and Quantum were definitely more connected. This one distinguishes itself a little bit more. It's also probably because Daniel Craig isn't the writer for this movie either. Like you can definitely <laughs> yeah. tell oh, yeah. if you if you watch Quantum and then you watch Skyfall, like what a difference writers make. Like there's a clear plan for this movie. We're not just using action to get away from the fact that there's no story. Like everything feels pretty important in this movie. So gotta pay those writers, guys. Gotta pay those writers. Um, also, why it feels different, I think it's because Quantum is a direct sequel in most ways to uh, Casino. And this one isn't. This one's like the Dark Knight uh, whenever you compare it to Batman Begins. Dark Knight really isn't a sequel. It's kind of just its own thing, just with the same characters. And I think that that's what this movie is. There's no continuation with Mr. White, which remember, he's still alive in Quantum. He's still out there. Uh, there's no continuation with Quantum as the organization, which we know is still out there. And like, that's kind of a big, we should probably close that. But yeah, they just opted to tell their own story. And uh, we'll see if anything comes back in Spectre. But I think it's just a good palate cleanser. You know, it just kind of takes us away from what we've seen and gives us fresh take, new story, but same characters. Daniel Craig also like hired Sam Mendes for this movie. Like the studio let him pick the next director. And so he picked Sam Mendes because they both have an affinity for James Bond and really wanted to make a good Bond movie that they were both proud of. And then unfortunately he did Spectre too. So we'll have to oh talk about that. God, I hate Spectre, dude. I do not want to do it. I can't wait for the review though, but I hate, I hate that I'm going to have to watch Spectre again. Um, also, just a fun fact and a quick movie recommendation for you guys, if you haven't seen it and everybody out there listening, Daniel Craig picking Sam Mendes makes sense because if you're someone that's looking for a different Daniel Craig role, Sam Mendes directed the Tom Hanks gangster movie, Road to Perdition, in which Daniel Craig plays a villain in a very different role. So they had worked together before, and it was cool that he brought him back. Very good choice. If you also want to see another movie at the beginning of Bond's career, you can check out one that me and Matt randomly watched together one night, Defiance. And I think it's better than people give it credit for. I haven't seen that one since we watched it. I think that might have been like the first movie Austin and I ever watched together. (laughs) I was like, our first like do you want to come over and stay the night in my house it was like okay and then we ended up watching (laughs) defiance so yeah good memories (laughs) well you remember the movie that you and i first saw in theaters together i do it was i believe the i stop me if i'm uh speaking out of turn here but the modern classic G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. Oh, man. <laughs> the one where you choked on popcorn and I like slapped your back and it didn't do anything. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> All right. I think one of the biggest reasons this movie really made it for me is the callback to the classic Bond settings and gadgets. And we get uh, some new characters in this franchise that are, you know, old characters from the other franchises like Money Penny and uh, a new M and uh, Q, of course. Uh, the old car with the old guitar Bond theme song was probably one of my favorite moments in this movie. I thought that was badass. Like I said at the beginning, this one really is the throwback Daniel Craig Bond in all the best ways too. Like none of this is fan service either. Like it kind of all makes sense for the plot. Like they found they found a way for it to feel necessary, which I appreciated. And also, I didn't realize how much I missed having the recurring Bond theme throughout the movie. And still it started playing in this one because you don't really have it in the first two. You, they subtly do it, but in this one, it's definitely more prominent. I think um, th- another important thing to note, though, is that they still didn't go overboard. They brought in all these kind of throwback elements, but it does feel like it's in line with the Daniel Craig version of the Bond universe, which they set up as being more grounded with Casino Royale. So in the end, it's like you get three gadgets this time. You get a small radio, just a radio, though. You get a gun. It's just a gun, but it does have uh, the whole fingerprint element to it. And you get the car, just a car, classic Aston Martin, but it does have Gatling guns. So it's like, it still feels grounded, but we are getting the whole Q element, the gadgets for the first time, these throwbacks. So I don't know, just a great balance. You know, it didn't feel like I was watching this and I was like, 
oh, this should be in a Pierce Brosnan movie. It just it felt like, oh, yeah, this is Daniel Craig's universe, but it does feel like these elements added to it in a good way. Yeah, and on that note, I think Hugh has the perfect line, and he's like, what were you expecting, an exploding pen? Yeah. Like, he's, that's kind of a line for the audience, Dude. where he's like, this is a grounded Bond, you know? Like, uh, that's, Hugh's that's, great in this movie, That's one too. of my favorite scenes. The Q and um, Bond meeting is so art, good. In the art like, gallery, yeah. yeah. Because Bond almost walks away because, like, he's, like, creeped out that someone's sitting so close. And he like, he's like, there's no way this can be the guy. Oh, you mean he doesn't like it when somebody comes up behind him and kind of sneaks yeah, in next Bond. to him? Yeah, Bond. Wow. Creeper. Got, you gotta take what you give, partner. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just think the, the lines in this scene are so good. They're just kind of, like, kind of, like, poking at each other a little bit. And uh, what is it? It's, like, he talks about Q. I like how Q's just, like, I can do more in a, like... Before I have my Earl Grey tea, then you can do it like in a year in the field, like in my pajamas as well. And Bond's, and then he's like, Bond, of course. He's like, why do you need me then? And he's like, sometimes a trigger has to be pulled or not pulled. And then it's they do the classic and they look at each other and they both smile. And I like that Bond says it first. Bond's like, Q. And he's like, 007. Shake hands. I was like, yeah. I was like, it's so cool. I love it. Their, their relationship is awesome. And I also love when Q's talking to him over the microphone while he's walking through the tunnels. And yeah. he's like, open that door, Bond. And Bond's like, it's not opening. And he's like, put your back into it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so great. I will say as a teaser, so nobody chastises me for my hate of Spectre, one highlight in Spectre is the Bond and Q relationship is still top tier. Okay, so we've had our M talk. We've had our Q talk. It's now time for the obligatory villain talk. What do we think about Javier Bardem as Silva? Um, I like the idea of a scorned former MI6 agent. I think it's really cool and well executed. Um, I also love him all, like kind of always being one step ahead. I do think the performance gets a bit silly at times. And kind of while I was watching this movie, I was really, something I was thinking about was it would have been really cool to have Mads Mikkelsen play this villain instead of Lashif and Casino. I mean, I could see that, but I like, I like Silva though. I, I mean, I like Javier Bardem as Silva in this one. His plan is, his plan is so weird. Yeah. The end game is for M to shoot herself, but also kill him. Yeah. yeah he wants to die with her. You know? What? Yeah, it was very mommy issue dark weirdness going on there <laughs> i don't know how to describe that i, I kind of wish there was something a little bit bigger of a plot going on behind the scenes this is the most grounded villain plot for sure like that it's not world ending it's solely targeted at m and mi6 i mean it is it's weird because he's actually a cyber terrorist like he is that's what they call him and it's like okay so he's been doing this and it's like why hasn't he killed M already you know, it's like it's one of those weird things that movies do. And I don't blame them. I, it's so hard to not do this. But it's like if this makes sense, what I'm about to say, when we meet the villain, that's when his plan starts, which makes sense because we are the audience watching the movie. But in the world, why hasn't he done this already? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It's like it, it makes it even weirder whenever his plan does start happening, like Austin said, because it's like so he has been a cyber terrorist. And then he just on a whim is like, today is the day I'm going to enact my M plan. It's like, why? And now we're watching it. And then the whole movie is that. And it's like, OK. So, yeah, like I like how Austin said it. It's like there's really not much else this character is doing except trying to kill M. And I like that it is a personal story, but it ultimately it just I don't think it comes together super well. And his plan, like you said, is just so weird with all the different attempts he has to kill M. And it's like, oh, he's pretty good at this. But then he's not. It's like. The guy seems so smart, but ultimately, like, a couple fire extinguishers going off that Bond shoots, like, ruins his day and ruins his plan to kill M. It's like, okay. So, yeah, it, it comes off as weird sometimes. The part that I will disagree with, though, and I'm more in line with Keith, is that I think the performance is awesome. It is super hammy and kind of goofy, but that's kind of why I like it. I think it gets so over the top for me. It, like, it especially is, Especially towards yeah. the end, when he's just, like, whining, like, ugh. He's just whining into the camera like, M hurt me. <laughs> like, okay, we get it. Thanks. Put your jaw back in, please. Oh, that scene is so good. My favorite scene with him is uh, his first scene, like when he comes out of the elevator and Bond's tied up and, you know, he's trying to oh. mess with Bond and get in his head and, you know, trying to like, like seduce him in a way sexually. That was kind of weird. I, that was kind of cool. And Bond's like, what makes you think this is my first time? Imagine, imagine Mads Mikkelsen doing that though. Like he was so good at it when they're just sitting playing cards. Imagine him like actually in a position where he's going to have to fight Bond. Like he's trying to outsmart MI6. Like uh, I think Mads would have been so good in this role. But going back to this whole cyber terrorism thing, remember he's talking about him and Bond being the last two rats in the pile 
And then he's like, yes. look, he's like, look and see what I can do. I can, I can transfer oil reserves to my bank account right now. I can tweak a election in Uganda to go my way. Like it's all right here for the taking. And then that just doesn't come back really <laughs> later on. Yeah, that's where it's weird. That's yeah, what I'm talking about. it really doesn't. Great monologue though. Uh, yeah, I want to say shout out. Because how many freaking villain monologues do we get in movies that have nothing to do with anything? They're just cool sounding. Do you know what I mean? It's like the metaphor is like, what is this relating to? Here, it's actually really cool and plays into the actual main plot, which is like, there are these two rats that have been scorned by their mother, M in this case. And it's like, they're the last ones standing that have to fight each other because there's nothing else to do. And how that comes back at the end, whenever Bond kills him and he's just like, last rat standing. I was like, nice. I will say though, a very hammy moment that somehow Javier Bardem made work that makes me laugh and I love is whenever Bond throws the knife into him and he turns around and he's just like, oh, fuck, you got me. I kind of love that. It's just funny to me. So speaking of that final sequence, I do love that they found a way to pair Em and Bond together for the final act. Their relationship really is a high point for me in this one. Let's talk about the estate shootout, meeting Kincaid, and then, of course, Em's death. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I also liked how, uh, while they're on the way there, Q and I can't remember the other guy's name. Tanner. Yeah, Tanner. Q and Tanner are doing their thing, and then uh, Rape Fines come in, comes in and is asking him what they're doing and all that. And he just says, excellent work, boys, and get back to it. I thought that was kind of cool. I like Mallory a lot. I like how he is this presented as this kind of asshole. He's going to be the guy that tries to get Bond fired. Um, and he's trying to fire M. He doesn't want to, but he it's kind of his job. But then in the scene w- with um, where, there, where, where Silva tries to kill M, I just love how he immediately jumps into action. Like he's protecting people. He immediately grabs a gun when he has an opportunity and tries to like help. And you see that moment where he and Bond kind of look at each other and like they know what's going down. So the Parliament shootout is a is a standout for me in this movie as well. I love that whole sequence of events. It's really cool. It's really good. Um, and then yeah, like you said, whenever. Uh, they do do the whole encouragement. He's not going to chastise them. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So I, li- I like the lead up to the to Skyfall as well. I mean, what would you guys think about the whole – what about – I mean, let's talk about Kincaid as a character. It's kind of weird for me. It's some – it just seems kind of unnecessary. Why do, do you guys like it? Because I, I guess he's more there to have a direct connection to his past besides the house and when he can kind of talk to, if that makes sense, is – I don't know. Do you guys like that? I really like Kincaid in this movie, but I do agree with the critics here that this whole sequence of events feels like a different movie. Like we just kind of, we go to the estate. I love it, but it doesn't really jive with the rest of the film. Like this one feels like a Home Alone movie. Like we're joking, but it really does. It feels like a different movie. Yeah, I like Kincaid and I like that he was kind of giving a, a, a little bit of a backstory in the house and all that. Because whenever Bond died... They sold his flat in London, and they also he also had his this house in his name, which I'm glad they uh, said that. So he, because he, obviously he was still paying Kincaid to be there and take care of the house while he wasn't going to be there. And there was like real world consequences almost in a way for him actually dying. So they kind of played into that element of selling off possessions and stuff. And of course, the only gun left is his father's like hunting rifle. So of course, him using that's probably a big deal. And yeah, as for moving on, because that's those are the weird elements for me, kind of all that setup. But the actual action here is pretty damn cool. I really like it. I like seeing the way these little uh, booby traps kind of play out, how they actually are put in use is cool to see. And Bond's action here, bringing in the car with the Gatling guns, classic, really yeah, fun. That was cool. And then, yeah, like we guys, uh, you guys called out earlier, I love the scene whenever he finally does make it to the ice and then just immediately grabbing the guy's gun, shooting the hole in it, and then falling down. Just looks so amazing. It looks so cool. But again, my friends, it is time for Matt's next nitpick. Kincaid, what the fuck are you doing? I get it. You need a flashlight to see your way through the tunnel. Cool. Why are you still using it outside? (laughs) Silva literally looks over and goes, there he is. What a fucking idiot. He's the reason M dies. <laughs> so stupid. Something that was making me laugh, though, is before Silva sees the flashlight and he, like, knows M isn't in the building, he turns to his men and goes, nobody touch her. She's mine. And then just starts throwing 15 grenades into the building. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's going to kill her. He doesn't know that she's not in there. Oh. That was making me laugh so hard. Yeah, and then the light shines and she, he's like, mommy's calling. <laughs> he goes over there. <laughs> <laughs> so whiny dude so whiny i love it i love it though and then bond returning of course 
I mean, I guess now we, we got to talk about the death. I mean, this was another thing like we talked about with the whole Skyfall reveal kind of being an actual thing instead of just like a cool Bond title. But um, the whole M dying thing, I mean, obviously at this point it's common knowledge, but that first time seeing it, shocking, definitely for me. I never thought this would happen. I kind of assumed, I knew Judy Dent was getting older and she didn't want to keep going with the part, but I guess I just imagined that, I don't know, like the next movie would start whenever she didn't want to do it. And then they would say, oh, that M died. Here's the new one. Um, but yeah, dies on screen and it pay, it kind of pays into the whole emotional relationship that these characters have been building a little bit casino, mostly quantum. And of course, a lot here. And I think it's just a great scene. I really love it. And seeing Bond actually kind of break down at the side of this is another really cool different take. So talk to me about the actual kind of Silva dying and then M dying and how that kind of all played out. What'd you think? I love M's death. I think, uh, I think it's almost the only way for this relationship to culminate from what they've been building in the past two movies. Like this is the scene where they get their reconciliation. They get time together in this estate and they both get to kind of defend each other in a different way as well. Um, so I think this is just a natural conclusion to this relationship that they've been setting up. And it's also just such a great send off to Judy Dench after years in this role, really bringing it. And then like the critic said, finally a role worthy of her talents. And we really get to showcase her skill set as M. Yeah. I like that. She like, she stuck to her guns at the end, you know, she wasn't going to change her ways for parliament. Cause you know, they were trying to oust her and all that. And they were disagreeing with everything that she was doing. So I like that. She was still sticking to her old ways of doing things. And yeah, I think it was a perfect way for her to go out. And then it was also a perfect way for Silva to go out too. Like he was just about to get his one last, you know, knock on her and killing him and herself at the same time. And then just right in the back by Bond was badass. In a weird way too, Silva's plan succeeded. Yeah. M died and he died. So he kind of, in a weird way, the villain also kind of won in this one as well. Any kind of closing thoughts on the epilogue itself? I know we talked about it a little bit, but you guys have anything you want to call out the whole money penny giving money, the money penny reveal, the whole Mallory being the new M and then Bond's like just closing thoughts, anything there? Keith, I know you love money penny. Yeah. I thought it was awesome that she kind of shows up at the end and they're kind of talking about her going back to the field or not going back to the field. And I think we, you know, it's definitely foreshadowed that we're going to see her later on again in the field. And then to close out, obviously we got to talk about the office, the office with the padded door. Oh, that's, that's classic bond right there. I love that whole sequence. I was, I was, um, I've been watching this series with my wife and, and she's never seen any bond movies before, except for these. So I was telling her like, this is how all like the originals kind of start out. There's always a sequence where he goes in, flirts with Monty Penny and then gets his orders from M. So, Ah, such a great way to close out this movie. Yeah, it's really great. I love it. Great little epilogue. Perfect amount. Not too long, but it gave us kind of the cap offs of all those fun things. And yeah, I like Ray Fiennes a lot. So it's cool that, you know, they went with this decision. So, you know, all good stuff here and perfect. Like we already talked about the lines where they close out were awesome. The whole need you back to work with pleasure and with pleasure. Credits. So good. Before we move on from our discussion, did you guys have any highlights of the music usage or Roger Deakins cinematography, the way the movie looked? I think I mentioned it earlier with the the car driving off to Scotland and the classic guitar themed Bond comes on. That was probably one of my favorite music moments in the movie. I love how they filmed the estate scene too, where they have a perfect view of this road. So no matter what, they can see any of their people, any of their enemies approaching I just I love that camera angle of how how long winding the kind of driveway to this estate is so cool. Yeah, I think like I talked about my favorite moment of music was whenever he's on the boat going into the casino and it it does the bomb theme, but then that transitions into the Skyfall theme, which was so cool. As for Roger Deakin cinematography, there's just too many moments to name. It's just this movie looks just perfect. Just the way they shot it, like even Austin mentioned, like even just choosing with specific angles. I mean, it's just so good. The skyscraper scene. Oh, yeah. With the lighting and the, the neon signs. And the glass office. So perfect. It just looks amazing. It's so cool. And there's also a really cool moment there where you don't hear anything in that except for music. And then whenever the bad guy like cuts a hole in the window and he pulls out the glass, that's what you start to hear sounds like the wind comes in. It's like now you can hear things besides the music. And I was like, gosh, they just nailed it. Why did Bond let him assassinate that guy? Another question. I don't know. Why did Bond let Severin die? I don't know. Why did Bond just watch as that guy murdered a man? I don't know. Probably that guy was probably a bad guy, I'm assuming. So maybe, but Bond doesn't know that. <laughs> he just watches him shoot him. And again, <laughs> it's not even like he's like 
following him. It's like he's there to kill him. So it's like, just kill him. And it's like he waits right for the guy to kill him. And then he's like, "Okay, now I'm going to get him. (laughs) It's like, it's just funny. It's just so funny to me. All right, everybody. Well, we're going to start to wrap things up. But of course, before we can get out of here today, we've got to do our Arnie's podcast awards. Keith has started to know the rules this year. This is a segment where we give an award for anything in this episode. Go ahead and start us off today, Keith. Well, my award actually comes from a scene that we did not really touch on in our review. And this is the most in need of a dentist award goes to Mr. Silva swallowing the cyanide capsule. Um, That was a pretty menacing scene, I thought. I enjoyed that scene. It's actually kind of sad. I mean, you, you definitely feel for him in that scene. I mean, like, and just the concept of like, cyanide not working is like I never something I had never thought about until I saw this movie. I was like, oh my God, just horrifying. I love how his jaw implant like lifts up his whole face yeah. as well. Oh, that's a pretty haunting scene. It's, yeah. Ugh. My award today is, I think, you know, it's the only natural award that we can give out today. It is the most unsexy, sexy scene and it is the, the shaving scene, of course. Oh, I thought you might have gone there with the shower. Dude, I don't, there's something about that scene where they they want it so badly. They want it to be so sexy, and it's just like it's, it's just kind of gross. And yeah, it's 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 weird, man. <laughs> something about the way the razor is scraping the shaving cream off his face just kind of <laughs> grosses me out too. <laughs> it's white cream, but then it, when it comes off his face, it's like kind of dirty. <laughs> it's like, dude, clean your <laughs> clean your face, James. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sentence grossed me out. It's white cream. <laughs> it's dirty. Oh my god. <laughs> well, if it grossed you out, go back and watch that scene and you'll see what I'm talking well, about. Well, now I don't want to. Uh, it's weird though because I disagree with the critics that these guys had no chemistry, but I thought they had friendly chemistry. They didn't have sexual chemistry. And then the way they build up to that is, I'm going to shave you. There's nothing that precedes it. It's so weird. Oh, my God. Oh, that made me laugh. All right. I This was a tough one for me. I wanted to, at first, give an award to James Bond for, like, best live-action Mario movie whenever he jumps off that Goomba, a.k.a. the Komodo Dragon, to get up on the ledge. That was great. Um... There was some other ones in there. I thought Silva might have deserved one for best hair or something like that, best bleach job. But I am going to stick with hair. And my award is going to go to Ben Wishaw, who played Q. I'm going to be giving him the healthiest head of hair award. I was just in awe of this guy's hair. I was like, oh, my God, that was like the most hair I've ever seen on someone. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of has like the classic like Superman swoop almost too for his bangs. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Good stuff. I think Austin wins, though, for uh, the award today. (laughs) I think that's the most prestigious. All right, everybody. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, that really is the best way to help us continue to grow this show. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. Next week, we will be back on Tuesday for the second part in our Dungeons & Dragons adventure. That's right, and our guest host will be returning, Dungeon Master Nick from the Very Good Adventuring team, so look forward to that. Um, And yeah, we also have WandaVision. I think we're coming up on episode five. So yeah, if you have not listened to our previous episodes, go check those out. We basically just, every time a WandaVision episode comes out, we do a review. So that's fun, our little ongoing bonus series. And I hate to say it, I cannot wait to review it, but I am dreading watching Spectre. We'll be back with our Daniel Craig James Bond series in two weeks where we will be talking about Spectre. And guys, Daniel Craig's in this movie. Sam Mendes directed it again. How'd they fuck it up so bad? I don't know. I don't know. We'll get to it. We can confirm, though, that there is no dirty shaving in Spectre. Not that I remember. So they did, they did do remember. a slight improvement. There will be another There will be another uncomfortable scene in it. I, I'm he is sure. just a sexual deviant in Spectre. <laughs> We'll get to it. And remember to go check us out on Instagram at The Arnie's. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode and future episodes. Let us know how your rewatch of Skyfall went. Also remember to go back and listen to our reviews of Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace as well. And please give us your theories on what's to come next on WandaVision. Yeah, everybody, we, we really want to hear from you. Send us your thoughts. Uh, you can also email us, thearniesmedia at gmail.com. Uh, send us your Dungeons and Dragons characters. Send us your thoughts on One Division. We'd love to hear from you. 
All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today, everybody. We will talk to you on Sunday and then again on Tuesday for Dungeons and Dragons Part 2. Bye, everyone. Let the sky fall when it crumbles.